Welcome along. It's Saturday afternoon. I'm Justin Briley with you for the next hour and a half for the programme that gets Christians and non-Christians talking unbelievable. Uh, thank you very much for listening this Saturday afternoon, whether it's live across the country on our DAB service or online via Premier Christian Radio's website, premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. And uh, got a very interesting show coming up for you today. You're unbelievable. <laughs> Scottish apologist David Robertson joins us again as he takes on Andrew Copson this week. Andrew is the chief executive of the British Humanist Association. We're asking, stop worrying and enjoy your life. Are we better off without God in modern Britain? Uh, the tagline there from the uh, atheist bus campaign that the British Humanist Association sponsored last year alongside Richard Dawkins. Well, we'll be asking, are we better off without God? Uh, should we stop worrying and enjoy a life without God? Uh, all questions we'll be uh, looking at in the course of today's programme. Well, it's a fascinating discussion that we're going to be having today. And uh, my uh, great thanks again to David Robertson for joining us uh, on the show today. He's a Scottish minister. You may have heard him in conversation last week with uh, American skeptic Michael Shermer. Today, he is joined by Andrew Copson, chief executive of the British Humanist Association. And we're once again turning our attention to the place of, if you like, religion and God in society. Um, I've, I've titled this discussion, Stop Worrying and Enjoy Your Life. Are we better off without God in modern Britain. That may take us in all kinds of directions. Um, as uh, th That was, in a sense, the tagline of the Atheist Bus Campaign, which was sponsored by the British Humanist Association last year. Um, the, if you want the full title, it was um, There's Probably No God, Now Stop Worrying and Enjoy Your Life. Um, so uh, it, my great thanks to both of you gentlemen for joining me today. Um, Andrew, we go back a little bit because we were sort of at university together, yep. though I think our paths have crossed more post-university yes, <laughs> in our different spheres of um, interest. Um, and, uh, I mean, you've just recently become chief executive of the British Humanist Association, right. so congratulations on that. Um, what roles does that mean you have now? Um, what does the chief executive of the British Humanist Association get up to, um, you know, in their average week? Well, it seems that they sort of stop enjoying their life and start worrying <laughs> at the moment. Um, there's lots of budgeting to be done, lots of very sort of difficult uh, uh, work like that, administrative stuff that's not really as interesting as my old job was with education <laughs> and campaigns. Um, but it's also obviously very, very exciting too because you get um, to be leading on the, on the work of the association that we've got going forward. Obviously our main uh, work... Uh, remains uh, the promotion of humanism and of those sort of humanist beliefs and values and the affirmation of people who have them in society. But also there's a lot of policy work and campaigning work to be done at the moment on uh, combating religious privilege and discrimination and so on. Um, and we don't know quite how that will work out after the next election, but there's sure to be a lot to do. It seems to me that the profile of the British Humanist Association has been going up over the last couple of years, especially in light of things like the Atheist Bus Campaign. Um, I mean, do you think that's because just you've got better at your marketing or, or people genuinely are seeking you out as a, a a representative voice of a certain viewpoint well i think it's hopefully it's both those things i mean the well, there were sort of three spikes historically in the in the membership of the of the of the bha the british Union association which was sort of at the end of the 19th century 
in the 1960s and now today. And I think that if you think about those, what those three periods uh, have in common, um, it is a sort of general reviving public interest in, in humanist ideas. And I think today, certainly, um, there's a much more prominent search for meaning and purpose, discussion about ethics and so on, um, I think, especially in new media. And lots of people find that their answers are the same as the humanist ones to those big questions. And there's also a resurgence of uh, religious uh, noise in public life and religious organisations. And I think people also who have previously been secular but unidentifiably associated with anything, you know, um, now join the BHA perhaps in reaction against those sorts of developments too. Well, um, you're in conversation today with David Robertson. Welcome back, David. Great to have you on the show again. Nice to be back. Um, D- David, uh, you are a Scottish minister. Um, how, what do you make of the, um, if you like, the prevalence that p- organisations like the British Humanist Association are, are increasingly having? Um, up to a point, you know, th- there might have been a, a, a point in the past when it was just people like yourself, ministers, who were asked to give commentary on the latest particular social policy or whatever it might be. Nowadays, I think probably media organisations are seeking out a variety of voices like like Andrew's as well. Um, do, do you think this is kind of symptomatic of the fact that we live in a more secular society nowadays? Is that the way you would you would see it? No, um, uh, I find that quite amusing that you think I would be asked to give uh, comments on policy. I, I'm a Scottish minister, not a Scottish prime minister, um, thankfully. Uh, I don't think I'd get on too well down here if in London uh, if I was a Scottish prime minister. However... Um, no, we, we, I, we've never been asked in the past. Now, in, interestingly enough, we get asked now. Mm. I, I get asked um, in secular outlets when 10, 20 years ago I was never asked at all. Uh, I think that what has happened is there's probably an increased polarisation with some things, that the kind of cosy, live-and-let-live approach has not disappeared. There's a lot of it still there, but it's been pushed, I think, the emergence of atheist fundamentalism and Islamic fundamentalism and the fear of Christian fundamentalism, particularly from the US, is playing on a lot of people's minds. And I think that you'll find that there isn't a day goes by without some form of religion being in the news. Um, I I would be intrigued to know, though, uh, you say, my suspicion is that the British Humanist Association is vastly overrepresented in the media. Uh, I mean, I'd be intrigued to know what your membership is. Our membership is about 10,000 and then another sort of 20,000 supporters on top of the paying members. I don't think, by the way, that we get into the media very often. I've only done it sort of been in the media about twice in the last three weeks, for example. I think perhaps sometimes Christians feel that humanists are prevalent in the media and humanists feel that Christians are overly prevalent in the media. Yeah, I I suppose it it can (laughs) be your point of view. I mean, I'm thinking of things like, I suppose, the the bus campaign, which was such a a high-profile event this time last year. and, And I guess many people... Thinking of those sorts of things. I mean, um, what what sparked you to get on board with that bus campaign? What was the point of that? Why a lot of people may have seen that as a, a bit of um, I don't know, uh, pointing something out which necessarily didn't need to be pointed out in the UK. It's not as though we're a terribly, you know, Christian country in the sense of no, you know we, we've got you know huge numbers of churchgoers or anything. Mm. Why, why did you need to? put the message on buses that people don't have to believe in God. There's not that many that do, are there, in the UK? Well, to an extent, there was a sort of groundswell of people asking us to do so and lobbying us to do so, and so that in itself demonstrated there was some sort of demand, um, as indeed did the vast amount of money raised so quickly by so many small individual donors. Um, So, however, I think it's... 
it's more to do with ads, ads on buses and ads on the streets and so on. I don't know about you, but every time I walk to uh, my overground station, Finsbury Park, I pass two adverts saying, you know, the fool in his heart has said there's no God, or mm. rotating adverts that mm. um, either churches put out, or there's one that someone has a notice board on their garden wall, actually, and presumably right. just put it up whenever they feel like it. Um, so there is a lot of uh, advertising, yes, a religious true. advertising mm. in the public square, mm. and until this moment... And to the atheist bus there had been never any atheist or humanist advertising in the public square, I mean specifically mm. um, for those causes. So I think that the no- novelty value of it and the fact that there had previously been no such adverts of a non-religious sort, whereas there are many, many mm. um, adverts of a Christian sort, um, uh, especially seems where I live in North London, but uh, generally I think that's true. Um, so I think that it was a sort of reaction to that. And people... Um, people who are not religious, who are humanists, or who are atheists, or some other sort of non-religious people, um, I think got something out of having their own beliefs visible on the side of a bus as much as the Christian mm. posters, which they were, our posters were a response to, had been a couple of months before. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think we'll ever do it again, but I don't think there's well, anything wrong with it. Well, I, I mean, saying that, that you, have, you did launch at the end of last year this um, Don't Label Me mm. campaign. And, mm. and what, was, what was the message you were sort of trying to put across in that? in that one well that was one about the uh, autonomy of children largely we, we launched it to coincide with Universal Children's Day which is the UN's uh, International Day of the Child it recognises the uh, signing into the coming to force of the um, International Convention on the Rights of the Child and we were particularly keen to highlight uh, the rights of children to decide um, uh, for themselves about various fundamental beliefs when uh, they come of an age to do so. Um, and we were committed to that on the non-religious side as much as the religious side. Um, mm. You probably saw on the poster, we had a range of labels that we thought it was undesirable to uh, put on children too young, and there were things like Christian, Muslim, and also humanist, mm. um, which you know was our view as well, is that uh, children should grow and, and learn and with, with growing maturity acquire those beliefs. Yes, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because, in a sense, um, I, I, I'm a parent mm. and I, uh, I'm bringing my children up in that sense in a Christian household. Mm. And um, it's, of course, it's my natural desire that they would follow me in the faith, but I'm in no way going to force that upon them. Exactly. But inevitably, in the course of what we do, that kind of atmosphere will, will, will be there. And, and uh, I mean... It's very difficult, whether you're a humanist, Christian, Muslim, to pr- provide some kind of neutral atmosphere. It's impossible. It's impossible. Exactly. I mean, certainly it's impossible. And that wouldn't be uh, anything we would ever say. I mean, but I think particularly of, of my own upbringing, where my mother was a humanist herself, um, but when I wanted to go to Sunday school, for example, she drove me uncomplainingly for the whole eight months that I managed to keep going um, because my friends were going. Um, and she sort of raised me in an atmosphere where uh, once I was sort of aware of, of, of things like this. I was aware of what she believed. Um, I was aware of what other people believed. I was at school and saw sort of friends with other people, you know, believing other things. Um, and I decided for myself that, um, you know, so do what I believed. No, 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 there's no such thing as a totally uh, neutral approach to these things, but there is such a thing as a fair and objective one that respects the rights of your child as much as your own. David, what, what, what's been your reaction to these, these sort of particularly prominent poster campaigns where and, and Andrew says it's it's about atheists seeing that their voice is seen in the public sphere as much as we see Christian advertising and, and the Christian voice represented yeah I think the difference there is that Christians generally tend to advertise in order to persuade other people um, uh, maybe rather optimistically I think uh, what Andrew said is indicated that it's almost kind of like a reassurance to those who have atheist beliefs already. I, I'm actually very, very grateful. I want to thank you for particularly the first round of posters 
where there isn't a God, you know, cheer up and enjoy life. Uh, every time I saw a bus going past with that, I, I stopped people and said, excuse me, what do you think of that? And it opened up a great opportunity to tell the gospel. So for a quarter of a million pounds worth of free publicity, which we couldn't <laughs> afford, thank you very, very much. Uh, it was just great. The, um, the, the, the don't label me one, uh, it sounds good. And the way that you put it, I, I don't think anyone's going to disagree except for the one phrase, the autonomy of children. Because I don't think that you really believe that children are autonomous or that the Humanist Association does. I, I don't think you can. We don't allow the autonomy of children in terms of education. We don't say, well, you can decide whether you want to go to school or not. You're autonomous. You can decide what you're going to eat. You know, they'd all be in Burger King all the time. So yeah, we don't say that. I think the notion of people being brought up either with a tabula rasa, a blank slate, or in a culture, to me, it's disingenuous. I, I think... If you're going along with my friend Richard Dawkins, what, you're, what the real concern is children being brought up in uh, being educated as Christians or educated as Muslims or educated as humanists. And it seems to me that secularists in our culture are saying everyone should be educated as a secularist. That's no. the default position. No, that's not true. I mean, as I uh, certainly... Um uh, autonomy as a concept applied to children has a limited definition. And when I said what I said a moment ago, I talked about the growing maturity of a child and the the growing capacity to make these decisions over time. I mean, it's certainly not the case um, that children can have or that it's ever desirable that they should have total autonomy in every area of their lives because they are not um, mature adults who are capable of making uh, all the decisions that they're required to make uh, for themselves. I mean, the very concept of childhood is of that time at which um, you are not able to do that things. You are, um, as it were, uh, pubescent rather than post-puberty. You are in, in formation. Um, you're being formed. Um, so, of course, um, autonomy is a, is a lim has a limited definition application to children. That doesn't mean it's not something to aspire to, nor that it isn't something that over time can accrue to children with growing maturity. Um, and I just totally uh, reject the idea that what I would want or what anyone would want uh, who's a member of the British Humanist Association, is for children to be raised specifically um, as humanists, even if they're the children of, of religious parents. I mean, I'm a great believer, and the British Humanist Association is, of the freedom uh, to believe, the freedom of thought, conscience and religion that we enjoy. Something that um, when uh, religious uh, groups come into power, they don't always um, offer to everyone else in the same way that uh, often, often liberal secular governments do. So I totally, totally reject the, the idea that we're somehow wanting to indoctrinate children the other way into, into non-religion, into irreligion. But no, I, I was actually talking about education. So are you telling me that the British Humanist Association would support religious schools? Well, there are, that's, a, that's a broad question. Um, well, it's quite specific, actually. <laughs> well, no, it's uh, not. Do you mean state-funded okay. religious schools? Yes. State-funded religious yes. schools? Certainly not. Um, but Why not? One, because... Um, there are, there's a difference between a private um, school, for example, and a public school. There is an, it's an accepted matter of, of, of law and policy that the state, as in the community, as a representative of the community as a whole, has an interest in those things that it funds directly. So whereas I would never, for example, want to interfere um, with uh, the running of 
um, how parents might want to home educate their children or might want to run private schools. Matters of policy make it legitimate um, to take a public interest in state-funded schools. So, for example, in a state-funded school, I would want all children to learn about uh, different religions and non-religious beliefs. And indeed, the BHA was a co-founder of the Religious Education Council in England and Wales in, in the 1970s. Um, and I would always want them to do that. Um, and I would want them to be able to learn with and from each other in shared schools. But does that mean that I think there should be public schools that discriminate in their admissions um, to, and keep children apart or um, can selectively teach only about one religion rather than another? No, I don't. But that's not because I'm particularly um, against the religions that they're teaching. That's because I'm in favour of a broad, balanced curriculum and an equal community school model. But you, you don't surely accept that um, education can be based on neutrality? No, it's not can't be based on neutrality. Yes, exactly. It's full of values. It's infused yes. with them. So, so it seems to me that what you're saying, because, I mean, I'm not arguing for discrimination, but it seems to me that what you're saying, that state-based education should be based upon secular values. No, not at all. So what values should they be based on? Well, there are shared values. I mean, the, the Such as? The National Curriculum has a statement of about 20 shared values, which was um, compiled after extensive consultation with church groups, with religious groups, with non-religious groups, um, representatives of all sorts of different religions, was then polled with parents and focus groups, um, and evolved um, out a very interesting set of values that were shared across people uh, of many religious and non-religious beliefs. And they were, by and large, I mean, you could see them in either two ways, of course. You could see them as either platitudinous and bland, or you could see them as a great sort of reinforcement of the fact that we're all human and have uh, various sort of shared needs and, 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 and values in that way. But they were about um, respecting yourself, respecting others, the value of the family, the value of the community as a whole, the value of kindness and reciprocity and the environment and so on and so forth. I mean, mm -hmm. shared human values of that sort, wherever you think they come from, um, are of immense value in building uh, communities. And after all, that's, that's the sort of world that we have to live in, is a world where people are um, diverse in their values and beliefs in many ways, but also there's a strong core of shared values. So I think that common schools should be built on that. But, I mean, in, in theory, again, that sounds, that sounds fine. But my problem with that is, one, that it doesn't work, and two... Well, it does it, work. I've well, been to many, any schools that run themselves that way. Well, actually, no, because the education system in, in this country... Well, for example, in Scotland, the 1870 Education Act, all the churches except the Catholic Church gave their schools over to the state yes. on the condition that they would continue to be Christian schools. Yes. The actual state education system in both England and uh, Scotland throughout the United Kingdom has been a Christian education system. And it seems to me that uh, you're saying shared values... But there are certain values that I, don't, I suspect you wouldn't take that a lot of religions and probably the majority of people would. For example, um, I would have it as a basic and fundamental axiom that um, sex should be within the context of marriage and marriage is between one man and one woman. And I, have, I think that's an important thing that should be taught. Um, you obviously wouldn't. Well, I think it's fine that people should be taught that some people believe that. I mean, I don't see why you shouldn't... I mean, and good sex and relationships education, and I've seen some very good sex and relationships education classes that deal with uh, faith and values. The BHA was involved in writing the Faith and Values Guidance for the Sex Education Forum on this issue. Um, and I've seen some very good classes on sex and relationships education that do deal with the diverse approaches that exist towards sex and marriage um, and so on and so forth. I would have no problem at all um, with uh, children being taught that some Christians or some Muslims or some Jews or whatever or some people with other, other religious beliefs and some non-religious people too who happen to think this way, um, think that sex should only be something that happens inside of um, a marriage between a man and a woman. I would also want them to learn that that is not uh, a universal uh, point of view. No, that some humanists... I, I see, I'm, very, I'm, I'm totally going to agree with you. I, I would quite happily teach 
that some humanists think this. Well, but some it's religious the, people as well. It's the perspective. I know plenty of yes. religious people who would disagree with you. Yes, um, for example, in what you say about when uh, people should have sex uh, and when they shouldn't. Um, so I think that you shouldn't just focus on some humanists. Yes, I know, but what I'm saying is this, that if, if education cannot be neutral, mm-hmm. and if we are to have a values-based education system... Yes. What should that values-based education system be based upon? You're saying common values. Yes. I'm saying I dispute. I, I think there are some things you can say that are common, but I, I dispute that that is adequate, and I don't see why I should be discriminated against because I wish my children to be taught from a Christian ethos across the whole sphere of education. Well, you're perfectly liberty to do that if you wish to do it in, in the home, if you wish to do it in supplementary no, Sunday schools. Well, I pay taxes too, and I don't very much like war, but it doesn't mean I can have my taxes not apply to the bombs that fall on Iraq or Afghanistan any more than you can, because you decide that dentistry is not of value, decide that your taxes aren't going to pay for national health dentistry. No, I, can I mean, re- that's not how society works. That's not the issue. The issue is, my, I, 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 because I pay taxes, I'm entitled to a dentist. Yes, indeed you because are. I pay taxes, because I pay taxes, I'm entitled to have a Christian education. Why? Why do you think that's your entitlement? I mean, that seems to me... Because uh, that is... Well, well, lots of I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I should be given a state humanist school in order for my children. No, so why should you have them. a different entitlement? Well, a minute ago you said the education system yes. was entirely Christian. No, it was. No the, no, the education system in this country was founded upon Christianity. And the ironic thing is that the government has had to go on to academies and all this kind of stuff because of the collapse that's occurred in the education that's system. That's untrue. I mean, that's just an un- unevidenced talk. No. I, I mean, there's been you no think collapse. We, you in, think we've in become a more intelligent system. country and that people are more literate? Well, that's that's a that's a very again a very broad question that we might have to break down. I think that okay, are, one in five Scots are functionally illiterate. Well, I'm sorry to hear it. One in five. Now, I don't know what the situation is for England. I suspect it may be the same. That is a disaster compared with uh, the beginning of the 20th century. The beginning of the 21st century. That is a disaster. Uh, at the very least, education should be about literacy. I agree. I agree. I agree so I think our education system is failing. Well. Literacy rates are lower now than they were 100 years ago, therefore the education system has failed, um, is, is not a very good argument, in fact. I mean, you'd have to draw a far closer link between um, the statistics that you're talking about and actual educational practice and could take into account other factors, um, you know, all sorts of demographic factors, all sorts of social factors, in order to make an argument for the point that you want to make. I don't buy it. If you're... If you had more evidence for it, I might buy it, but, but there isn't that evidence, so I, I'm not going to agree. And you're certainly not going to lead me through that argument to agree with the proposition that somehow our education system has failed, and nor that even a further proposition that somehow it has failed because um, it's moved away from its Christian origins. And I have to say that the, relig- the, the history of, of, of Christianity and the churches in state education in this country is not a universally glowing one. The church, for example tried very hard to prevent the introduction of universal state education at the end of the 19th century, specifically to protect its own ideological uh, stranglehold. Yeah, sorry, on, that was the, the darkest England shire, as I said already. Yes, in, indeed. In, 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 in Scotland, as, that's not As I said, the case. in Scotland, we... we apart we, from the Catholic Church. We, apart from the Catholic Church, we handed it over in good faith that they would not be secular schools, and now, of course, we're being told that these are to be secular schools. Well, I don't know whether the population of present-day Scotland could say that somehow they should be bound by a deal made by the Scotland of 1870. I mean, after all, the demographics of Scotland have changed quite profoundly, presumably. There are far fewer Christians in Scotland now than there were then. So, I mean... Two million people (coughs) profess, in the latest sentence, profess to be connected to or belong to the Church of Scotland, about one million to the Catholic Church. 
Uh, I think, if I remember rightly, the Humanist Society and the various secular organisations in total added up to about 5,000. Well, that's, you're comparing two things there. You're comparing yep. census data for religious people and membership data of the Humanist Association for non-religious people. Those two things aren't really comparable, well, are the they? Census you data compare is, no, census data yes. for the non-religious. The census data for the non-religious in Scotland, at least, <coughs> I think was around 20%. That's right, yeah. Professed that they weren't just any 20, kind of religion. Just over 20. And so, I'm, for me, I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking, no, if we're going to have a values-based education system, which I totally agree with, then, and if, if we're allowing autonomy and we're allowing children to choose and we're allowing parents to choose, which is significantly important, then surely we should allow, given that all these religious people from the census pay their taxes too, surely they should be allowed to have a Christian-based education system. That have you any evidence that they want it? Well, yes, if you look at, well, for example, the, the huge demand that there is for Church of England schools and so on. Only, well, let, in me, let me say something about that. Yeah. There's, the, the only demand for Church of England schools in England is for those that are academically successful. You don't get people struggling to get their children into Church of England schools that are not academically successful. So the evidence actually is that the criterion of religiosity is not the deciding one in terms of uh, parental choice for schools. The second thing about the... Uh, is, is, there, sorry, is there any evidence that uh, religious schools are more successful? Um, in terms of what? Academics. Um, there, is examination, uh, re there are examination results uh, from GCSEs um, that show that Church of England schools are more get a higher rate of yeah. A's, and A's and B's and so on, but also they take the, the same academic um, evidence will demonstrate that the children they take in at the beginning are also of a higher level. So the value-added score of church schools is about the same or slightly lower as of non-religious non community schools. So, no, there's no evidence that uh, church schools have uh, exert a greater academic success factor. No, wait a minute, this is interesting. You're saying... Let me go back over that a bit again. You're, sure. sa you're saying that... Uh, <laughs> it's the background that the children come from. So there's a value-added measure. The, um, there What's the two, value? Uh, class? No, the, the value-added refers to... Um, uh, an indicator that's measured um, within as children move through the school. So um, you could, there are two ways of measuring, uh, as it were, the educational success or otherwise of an educational institution. One is you take raw exam data and you go, this school has got this many A's in GCSE, this many B's in GCSE, and let's leave on one side for the moment the question of whether or not that GCSE results are a good way of measuring successful mm -hmm. in education. Um, but that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is to say... Um, these, this is the level of the intake as it comes into the school in terms of achievement. This is the level of intake when they come out of the school in How terms of achievement. How do you measure that? Well, it's when a very complicated school. value indicator. Uh, for, so, yeah, I mean, but I'm just asking. Explain it. How, how do you measure it? Because There's testing at the beginning. So there's ac it's academic you test testing. test five-year-olds? No, 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 not primary. No, no, primary. primary uh, pr well, I mean, primary schools are not uh, test at the end either with GCSE. I'm talking about secondary uh, value added. So GCSE okay. results. Uh, I mean, that's the school. Obviously, the sort of school that's easier to measure. Um, so you test at the beginning uh, when people come into secondary, and then you 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 work out a value added. So, and so it's on the value added. This is very dull, really. Well, well, technical well, detail well, yeah, about, okay, about value added. I mean, I'd rather go back what, to the, what I'm the prior to say, question though, about. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is this. Okay. It seems to me when you say value-added, in general, and, and, and it is primary schools too counting here, you know, the old Jesuit principle, give me a child till they're seven and so on. Um, I, my problem is this, that value-added does tend to be where you live, social status, things like mm. that, whether your parents have got university <coughs> degrees, you're much more likely to go to university and things like that. My concern as a Christian, and, and the church has always been with this, is with the quality of education and education for the poor. 
Mm. And I think that the Christian philosophy and ethos of education is much, much better for that. Mm. I don't think that the increasing secularization of our education system has been for the better. Mm. And I, I don't accept that, although you put it very eloquently, I don't accept the view that somehow just this common values uh, is, is going to be a way ahead. Because when I read your website, Andrew, it, it's mm. it, maybe broadening it out a little bit. You strike me as incredibly optimistic about human nature. Oh, no, I don't think so. I mean, that's a common charge that's levelled at... But the website says it. It says things are getting better. Well, some things are getting better. doesn't qualify. My my, my favourite bit on our website is when Philip Pullman says he's 51% optimistic, which I think is probably um, the the best way of putting it, the way that I would put it. It is slightly... Uh, over the edge on the optimism. We, we're going to have to go to a quick break, and um, yeah. it, it would be fascinating hearing the two of you going at it. Um, obviously, we, you've landed on an area that, that Andrew has obviously had been deeply uh, involved with in your former role at the BHA with uh, education, education. Um, and so, so inevitably, um, I knew this would, uh, you know, really get into a, a good discussion. <laughs> but I mean, what what it would be interesting in the next section is to maybe come back to that sense of, um, you know, in more general sense, what values does you know christian faith god have in modern britain Uh, can we jettison them you know and stop worrying and enjoy our life and and the whole area of of what does that mean what would that mean in what sense does the fact that people may have a belief in god mean they wouldn't be enjoying their life in some sense um because that might be an implication you might have taken from that um poster campaign uh we'll be back in just a moment um so let's uh, uh give you the the option if you want to to get in touch you're welcome to send in your thoughts by email that's unbelievable at premier.org.uk and you can also get hold of us on the phone line leave me a voicemail message 08456 52 52 52 select option eight i'll be delighted to play out any relevant messages on the show next week in response to this so uh, so we're asking today stop worrying and enjoy your life um, that was the tagline of the British Humanist Association's poster campaign this time last year. Are we better off without God in modern Britain? We'll be back with my guests David Robertson and Andrew Copson in just a short moment. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. This is the show that gets Christians and non-Christians talking and uh, we're welcoming back into the studio this week David Robertson as we continue to look at the, uh, if you like, effect of Christianity on society. We're asking are we better off without God in modern Britain? Um, not that that's exactly what the way the British Humanist Association would put it but um, certainly we've got uh, uh, Andrew Copson here. He's uh, the chief executive of the British Humanist Association and um, we were talking about um, just at the end of the last episode there Andrew this bus campaign and um, the effect that that had Um, I mean that phrase there's probably no God so stop worrying and enjoy your life Um, what what was the aim in the sense of of that because on one sense it it does perhaps sound like you're suggesting that those people who do believe in God um, aren't living their life properly or are in some sense you know um, worrying about their life in a way they don't need to if, if they just jettison this belief in god um is that the kind of message you were trying to put forward no not at all i mean the the, the stop worrying was very specifically um about the christian adverts to which our adverts were a response um if you remember the the bus adverts to which our adverts were a response had sort of apocalyptic looking clouds saying he is coming or i can't quite remember what it said um and then with a url and when you went to the url it said about how non-christians were going to burn forever in a lake of fire 
and suffer quite a lot. Um, and it wasn't very nice. Uh, we thought it was a bit worrying. So um, the, the, the lady, the comedian who came up with the um, uh, response, um, she was saying in response to these threats of hell, uh, don't worry. So she was saying there's probably no God. Uh, now stop worrying um, and enjoy your life. Now I suppose the success of our campaign rather overwhelmed and dwarfed the one to which it was a response. So people forgot about the, the hellfire and burning flames. But that's what the don't worry was, was, was about. Okay. Um, I mean, David, what, what, what was your response when you saw these, these uh, particular posters? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm smiling, Andrew, because um, the notion that this was a poster campaign to deal with posters about hell... Uh, may be true for London, but in that case, why put it out as a national thing? Because none of us saw these other posters. I know, I know. Well, it's just because we've got so much money. It was rather embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is. we tried, we tried to raise you're, just an amount for London. A, a lot of Christians criticise you for the, there's probably no God. Oh, look, they don't know. I mean, I know why you put that, and I have no objection to that at all. Just And, and I wouldn't have objected if you put there is no God. I just um, Both, I think, would be false, but um, you're perfectly entitled to put it. It was What really got me was the stop worrying and enjoy your life thing, mm. because I think as an advert, Given the context you've just talking about, it makes mm. sense. But for most of us not aware of that context, uh, I'm thinking of um, the mother who's just heard her child has died. Stop mm. worrying. There's no God. Stop worrying and enjoy mm. life. Mm. Uh, the message would have come across as at best banal and at worst crass. Mm. Well, that's so an interesting response. I mean, as I say, obviously, initially it was the response to the, the adverts in London that we were talking about. And we did sort of go out of our way on the website uh, that people would have gone to if they'd followed the link to, to our ad um, to point that out. Um, now, I, generally, of course, um, it is also a good thing to enjoy life and to enjoy your life. Um, and, you know, we obviously stand by that message. We wouldn't want to have, and uh, no one I think had criticised it would say that a poster uh, instead that said, worry and don't enjoy your life would be a good one. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with our message in that way. Mm -hmm. um, you raise a point about... Um, a woman whose whose child is, is dying or whatever, um, that same point, of course, could be raised about any advertising in society at all. I mean, there'll always be a person or people um, whom, for whom, unfortunately, certain advertising will touch a raw spot uh, that in the mainstream it wouldn't. Um, and I think, if I may say so, it's a, sort of, it's a poor example. It's a very exceptional sort of example. I think, in general, the message um, still has some validity outside of its original context, which was as a response. I don't think it's that exceptional example. I think I deal all the time constantly with people who are suffering. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it does strike me that this kind of the, the optimistic view that humanism has. Uh, you know, you would have been better off um, just along from here, Westminster. Um, there's the Westminster Confession, had a shorter catechism. Man's chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And my argument would be you only really, really enjoy life when you know God. I mean, in fact, uh, obviously, that's we now tending very much into the religious side of it. But uh, I, I think that uh, the notion of enjoying life without God is basically a dream. Really? Um, yeah. Well, I'm do. sorry you feel that way. I don't feel the same way. I don't believe that religious people can't be enjoying their lives or that people who believe in God might be enjoying them. So I'm sorry you feel the same way about me and about other people who don't believe in God as you do. Um, that's not at all my view, and I think that it's probably wrong um, to, to claim it as fact. I think that there is uh, something about uh, being human that, of course, enables us to give meaning uh, to our lives and the lives and uh, the world around us and for us to enjoy ourselves as a consequence. And I don't think it's limited to religious people or to people who believe I, I mean, I, again, I may be taking something that wasn't intended with the campaign, but, but from, from my point of view, when I saw it, 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 what it seemed to be saying to me on the sides of those buses was, if you believe in God, you're limiting yourself. You need to stop believing in God worry. and get mm. on with your life, mm. enjoy your life. Um, mm. there, there was a sense in which it was 
it was not just saying, you know, uh, don't worry about those adverts. It was saying um, you'll be better off without God, without this hampering belief in God. I mean, and and for me, that that I suppose was the, the part of the thing which made me stop and think. Are people really going to live their lives better without belief in God? Are people going to well, sort of, you know, question. make better decisions and yeah. get... A, I mean, in fact, yeah. the first thing that popped into my mind when I saw the slogan was almost... And I'm sure it wasn't intended in this way, but a sort of, don't worry about God. Um, you know, there's no kind of... You're not going to have to answer to anyone at the end of the day. So get on with your life and do the things you enjoy. Right. Well, that's a, that's a, a lot of, of no. Uh, that's that, that's uh, that's a pretty irresponsible yeah. interpretation. I mean, I think that um, that's that requires a lot of uh, uh, analysis in a certain direction from a certain point of view before you arrive from the basic message of the ad um, at what you were about to say, which I think was that you know you should just enjoy yourself hedonistically and not worry about other people who were who were suffering on the other side of the world, which of course is uh, very far removed from from the actual message that was on the bus. The question that you that you raise about whether or not people are happier if they for example, stop believing in God. I really can't answer. I expect it's different for different people. I mean, I'm very much aware, of course, of, of people who have had a deep religious faith and for whom um, it has then turned out to be very traumatic and who, leaving that religion, um, has then been a liberation of sorts. And, of course, there are people, vice versa, mm -hmm. who you know non-religious people um, who have become religious and no doubt have felt the same uh, change in their feelings um, or from one religion to another, you know. Christians who become Buddhists or Buddhists who become Christians or whatever, or Muslims. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, whether or not that uh, those uh, experiences of people are generalisable to any extent that we can say to become religious yeah. makes you happier or to become non-religious makes you less happier, I think is very doubtful. I think we'll just have to accept that for different people, um, different transitions of, of belief one from one to the other have different effects. Um, and it's plausible that some people... Uh, by giving up a belief in God would become happier. Um, I think particularly of some of the uh, letters and diaries of the 19th century when people like take someone like Osbert Sitwell, you know, who gives up uh, religion and then is terribly, uh, sort of a burden is lifted from him because all his life he'd been fearing hell, you know, and the suffering that might come after and then he didn't fear that anymore. Um, and so also vice versa. I mean, I don't think it is generalisable. Well, you're listening to Unbelievable this Saturday afternoon. If you want to respond to anything you've heard on the programme thus far, uh, then I do encourage you to get in touch. We've got Andrew Copson and David Robertson here in the studio, our non-Christian and Christian debating this week uh, whether we should stop worrying and enjoy our life. Would Britain be better off without God? Uh, if you want to get in touch, unbelievable at premier.org.uk is the email address. You can phone 08456 525252 and select option 8 to leave me a voicemail message and I'm happy to play that out on next week's programme. And don't forget to visit the webpage of Unbelievable and you can find a vast archive of past programmes plus this podcast with all the relevant information for today's guests. That's at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Well, coming back to you, David, Andrew was just saying that there are examples of people who have lived happy lives, happier lives, when they gave up their belief in God and hell. What do you make of that? It's just, I find, again, I find this just really intriguing because that, um, that this was an, uh, a poster advert about hell, which the vast majority of people in Britain don't believe in anyway. Yes. I, I do think that... Um, that is a kind of own goal. Um, and, of course, there is the problem of, actually, what if there is a judgment after you die, which which many of us do believe? 
But my other thing about the British Humanist Association is it does seem, certainly from everything I've read on your website and from your patrons and other people, that you equate humanism with atheism. Well, I mean, it's a word with a long history. Um, the, yes, you, the, you, but you are aware that there's such a thing as Christian humanism, that John Calvin, for example, described himself as a humanist. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the problem there is that the word, this is a, an etymological discussion primarily, um, the word humanist came to be applied in the last sort of 110 years, basically in the English-speaking world, to the sort of um, beliefs and values that the British Humanist Association would Atheism. talk about. Um, well, not just atheism, no. But no, but I mean, but, but including atheism. I mean, including the, the atheism British, or agnosticism. I mean, do the, the British Humanist Association have a, a Christian subbranch or a Muslim subbranch? No, 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 no. And because that that's a different use of the word from the use of the word that has previously applied, for example, when it was retrospectively applied to Rena- the Renaissance movement, um, or uh, the, so what use, does it mean? the use of the word. What does humanist mean today? Yes, in the way that we use yes. it. Yes. Well, it refers for the last hundred years uh, in, in, in its use in, of the, in this way. Um, it's referred to people who have a naturalistic view of the universe, people who uh, take uh, their, uh, the point of their morality as being human welfare and human fulfilment, people who believe that there's only one life and no evidence for a future life, and people who believe uh, that morality itself um, is something uh, from within uh, humanity rather than from without it, and people who believe that without... Uh, an ultimate meaning or purpose to the universe, human beings can make a meaning and purpose for themselves. Now, there are past meanings of the word humanist. It's been used in the past to apply to um, people who study the classics, yes. people who study the humanities rather than uh, the sciences. It was used about a hundred years after the Renaissance to describe Renaissance uh, yes. people in but various that, but, ways. But there's the me- way in which we use it is the one I just yeah. said out. Y- yes, and that is the way which, which you use it. And I think it's, it's kind of one of these words like even like the word gay that's been hijacked. And, no, well, that's uh, rubbish. I'm sorry, that's not... Been, uh, when was it hijacked? When was the date it was Well, you said hijacked? about a hundred years. In the past hundred years, Hi- it's been used in this way. You see, you're using... No one else was using it at the time, You're using the humanist... Well, I, I disagree because, for example, well, then, uh, letters of people like Thomas Chalmers and so on, to, to be called a humanist in the n- mid-19th century, people would have been very happy with that because it meant you were interested in human beings. You're using the word no, humanist. It's never meant that. You're using the word, well, it certainly did, and Calvin, called, as I said, called himself a humanist. You're using the word humanist, you know, basically to refer to those who are naturalists, who who are atheists, there is no God. Or and, agnostics. And, and who have a certain, or agnostics. Or agnostics, and who have a certain sense of values that they say that come from that, who have an optimistic view of human nature that we can work out our own morality. Um, and the implication, of course... I never said that. I never said an optimistic view of nature that we can work out our own morality. I said that morality comes from within humanity, not from an external source. They're two different points. I mean, the, my point is about uh, where morality comes from and what it is, not that we can optimistically create so it for ourselves. Would you hold... I mean, I've, we were talking about this, well, privately, <coughs> we were about Macaulay. This is what he described mm. as the historian Macaulay what he described as morality. Morality should be based solely uh, on regard to the well-being of mankind in the present life to the, excu- to the exclusion of all considerations drawn from belief in God or in a future state. Would you accept that that's a current-day term of use, humanist version of morality? It's a workable provisional definition. I mean, <laughs> M- Macaulay, Macaulay was more of a... I mean, morality is a difficult subject. We can't be glib about it. Um, M- Macaulay um, Well, he's was, not being glib. Was, he's was saying more, you don't refer to no, God. No, I thought you, you were to, being glib, not you, him. You, you don't refer to God. You don't refer to a future state. Uh, yes, that's fine. That, that Certainly, um, I, would, I would obviously think that um, morality... Uh, needs not to refer to a future state nor to nor to any sort of divine principle. So would you agree with Richard Dawkins that 
without reference to religion, it's very difficult to have any kind of absolute morality. It's very difficult. Is that the final proposition you're going to give me, or are you going to lead me down a road? Oh, I'm going to keep leading you. Don't it? worry. I'm, well, I'm, I'm not going to follow. <laughs> I mean, I'm. I, well, well, do you accept if, if people ask you to agree one by one to a series <laughs> of propositions, they're very try- often trying to take you somewhere where you, you would never be uh, in the first place. And so I shall just disagree with you now rather than later. Okay. <laughs> um, absolute morality is another difficult phrase. Um, it depends what you mean. I don't happen to think that morality is such a thing uh, that is. Um, absolute and unchanging over time and in every place. So I would say, for example, um, that there are very few moral decisions which we are able to take out of context. So I think that context is always very important for moral decisions. Um, Whether or not that means I believe in an absolute uh, morality or not in the context of the phrase that you just used, I don't know because I don't quite know what what, the way you're using it it to mean. Yes, but I think you know what absolute morality is. Um... Do you want to define it for me and then I'll say whether I agree with it or not? Well, uh, absolute morality is just the belief or the understanding that morals are objective, not just subjective. That there, there are objective morals that, independent of whatever you or I think or what society thinks, they exist. And if every human being died, would they still exist? Or Yes. So objective in, tra- in a transcendent sense? Yes, there is. A, there is no, there well, I don't ba- agree Basically, there's then good no, and evil. Then obviously, no, I don't You don't believe, believe there's good and evil. So I, I believe that morality is something like poetry... If every human being went out of existence, morality would cease to exist. I don't think morality is something like the moon or the sun, which if every human being went out of existence would still exist. So I think morality is locked into the nexus of humanity. So it's a human construct? No, not a construct. I said it's locked in with humanity. That doesn't mean we made it up. And I think particularly of of something like, of an analogy like um, Karl Popper, obviously a famous humanist philosopher, Karl Popper's analogy, when he said that um, he compared morality with... uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And he said breakfast, lunch and dinner are human constructs in the sense that they are the social conventions that we have laid down as meals. But the need to eat and the need to space out the eating of food across a period of time is a natural need. Mm -hmm. And he said, he implied through his analogy, that morality is something like that. That although we have built on it through thousands of years of the human project of culture, which has thrown up all these religions and all these philosophies and all these uh, various other ways of understanding our obligations to one another and conceptualizing those obligations to one another, um, so it's basically underlying it, underlying it, and there is a foundation which has its roots in biology, and you can see that in the higher primates who behave also um, in a sort of proto-moral way very often to each other, but as well that, as exhibiting very negative content. But that's, yes, yeah, that's very interesting because I would never, ever judge animals in a moral way. I grew up on a farm and, uh, you know, I remember... Not once, with the higher primates, I take uh, it, though. I mean, well, not, 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 not with, with the higher primates unless you're going to refer to my brothers. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean, because what, what's interesting to me in, in, in all of this is, you know, as you say, in terms of morality and absolute morality, if there is no absolute morality, then it has to be relative morality. If no, it, it is, doesn't. Oh, what's the choice between absolute and relative? Well, what's the you, other one? You just said... Absolute morality is something that exists independently of people, and if people stopped existing, it would, it would stop, um, it would still exist. Um, relative morality, you've plunged right down into the specific, and I expect you're about to sort of talk about relativism um, and morality that doesn't. What's the exist. alternative? Well, between absolute and relative, if you, if if, if you, I think it's. Va- I, th- I don't think you can see the world, especially not the moral world, in those black and white terms. I mean, there there are many different possibilities between. Uh, oh, give me absolute one. Absolute Well. A contextual morality that deals from sound principles that universally apply in the human world. Well, give example. me an example of a universal principle which I would agree with, that universally applies in the human world. Well, that's not the case I'm making. I mean, I 
you said give an example of one that's in between. That's just an example of what's in between. But, it's, but I, I don't think elements. it's in between at all because you said contextual, which is just relative, and it's relative to it. And you're saying it's relative to a universal principle, which is the same to me well, as saying you... it's relative to an absolute one. Right. Okay. If it's universal, well, it's absolute. Do you want to say what you? Th- what you mean by relative morality as against absolute morality? Yes, I, I, th- I think well, I'm, this is where okay, we've been maybe a bit philosophically technical, mm. but um, I, I'm thinking of debating in Cambridge University and the president of the Humanist and Atheist Association there saying, quoting uh, Bertrand Russell after the Second World War, Dachau is wrong is not a fact. <coughs> It's an opinion. It's, it's uh, A.J. Ayer's logical positivism. Mm. It's the American pragmatist school of philosophy, mm. which basically is that morality is the expression of emotion or a morality is expression of how society feels at a particular time. And what concerns me about that is there may come a time when society feels that all redheads should be shot or it may come a time when society feels that no Scottish person should be allowed to be prime minister or society may feel lots and lots of different things. That is no basis for morality. So in the future, you mean? In, in the future or now. It's no big well, I mean, we should certainly try now, obviously, to, to prevent those circumstances ever coming about. But, but you need a basis for doing that. And you've already been arguing that education should be based upon common principles. Shared values. Yeah. Shared values. Um, I'm, I'm wanting to know what happens to people who don't share those particular values. And I'm also wanting to know where we get those values from. Now, my argument would be we can only get absolute moral values, even we can only get relative ones as well, because I accept that we ha- relative has to relate to something. I agree with Dawkins that that can only come from religion. And I think humanism is one of those things that sounds really nice, that effectively equates to be nice to each other, but in, in reality leads to disaster. I can't think... Well, I think the same about um, a morality that claims transcendence for itself. Because I, it leads to absolutism, it leads to dogmatism, it leads to judgmentalism, it leads to an illiberalism in regard to other people, it leads to the sort of sentiment um, expressed, if I may say so, that you expressed uh, a, sh- a short while ago, um, where you said that you couldn't uh, conceive of any sort of full or true or rich happiness for someone who didn't believe in God to live, to be happy without God was no... I mean, that's the sort of doctrinaire, dogmatic and intolerant attitude that a, tra- a belief in a transcendent morality leads to, no, in my view. Well, because, I'm you, you know, we're, we're very close on definition, so I'm going to say this, that I didn't say that nobody can be happy at any particular level. I'm saying to be fully human, it's like, I think to be fully human, you need to be educated. I think you to be fully human, you need to love. I think to be fully human, you need, you need to, to have relationships. And I think to be fully human, there is a spiritual side. You are a humanist. You have an, a, a, a de facto... See, I would never think, I would never think of, of saying something like, I think that to be fully human... Um, you must not believe in God. But it seems to me that's precisely what you've just said. And I'd like to know why you think that there's intolerance or stridency or fundamentalism on my side of the argument when you've just said something as outrageous as that. Well, I'm glad it's outrageous. I like to be outrageous. Um, You're calling some people less human than others, less fully human than others. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I'm I'm quite... I think that's disgusting. No, no, I think they're humans made in the image of God, but I don't don't think... By the way, I don't think any of us, including myself, live to our full capacity as human beings. I'm sure that's true. So that's all that I'm saying. Not just of you, I mean of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but what I'm saying is this. I mean, it's interesting that... um, Again, Dawkins regards religion as a virus, not rather than the sort of kind of... He compares it nice with a virus for, for an, no, as, as, an, as, as an analogy, yes. Uh, it's, well, it's a pretty strong analogy because it he suggests it's a virus which is actually worse than child sexual abuse, which uh, is quite an astonishing thing. And like all viruses, of course, it needs to be eradicated. 
Um, I think it's the public theology think tank Theos did a poll on that. Did you see it? They asked the British population whether they agreed or disagreed with the statement that faith is like a virus, um, more damaging than smallpox and harder to eradicate. Something that I would never go as far as to say. Um, However, 44% of people in Britain agreed with it, as against uh, 46% of people who disagreed with it. So I think yes, that's interesting information. Surprising, isn't it? No, it's 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 interesting information. Well, it doesn't surprise me because no, it actually doesn't. I'm 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 quite glad it was only 44%. (laughs) Because I think the Guardian did a poll in November two years ago, which um, suggested that the majority of people in Britain thought that religion was a primary cause of evil in the mm, world. Mm. Though, of course, how you define evil without religion is also, for me, very, very interesting. Well, it but worked I, before Christianity defining evil, so I'm sure it could work after Christianity uh, well, as well. Yes, but I'm, I, I would challenge you to name one human society that has not, not been religious. But I'm coming back to this. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I mean, I'm absolutely intrigued about where we get this morality from, because I, I cited Macaulay, mm. for example. Mm, sure. um, Macaulay, of course, is a racist, an out-and-out racist, believing... Uh, that it was possible that it would be better to eradicate 100,000 people. I think one of his mm. quotes was, it would be better to eradicate 100,000 people than and to replace them with people who would govern or be governed better. Um, it sounds a good definition. The well-being of mankind in the present life to the exclusion of all considerations drawn from belief in God or in a yeah. future state. Yeah. I actually think when you take into account a belief drawn from God, for example, for me, uh, a very simple belief that all human beings are created in God's image. So if I step out in the street just now and come across a guy lying in his own urine drunk, um, I cannot look at him at anything other than being made in the image of God. I, I have no right to regard people because of gender or, or, or class or anything else, or, or even crime uh-huh. uh, as, as being somehow inhuman. I, uh, to me, that's a much, much more humane position and that comes from, if you like, a religious dogma. Sure. But my concern well, about humanism oh. is that uh, we are actually becoming a more fundamentally intolerant society as we become more secular. No, I don't think that's true. I mean, there's very good evidence, for example, that uh, racism has declined uh, over the last uh, 50 years. There's very good evidence in so- from social attitude surveys that people's um, tolerance of uh, behaviours that don't harm other people, like, for example, uh, sex outside marriage or uh, gay sex, all those sorts of um, tolerant behaviors, tolerance of those behaviours has increased, which is better, um, and that people are m- less tolerant of things that harm other people. There's lots, uh, uh, much, people are much more judgmental these days of drink driving, for example, um, or of harming others. So, I mean, in a social attitude survey, in Britain at least, which I accept is a very limited sphere, um, you're quite wrong. People have become more tolerant and more accepting. Well, I disagree. Um, and, and, and well, I mean, you can't disagree with social attitude surveys. Yes, I can. Well, well, actually, I can. Oh, do you have a better survey? I can very much disagree with social attitude right, surveys because What's the latest one... Survey? Well, the latest one, for example... Well, I, I disagree. It, a lot depends on how you ask the question and the question you ask. But the latest social attitude survey is, for me, a nightmare because it's indicating that people are, in Christian terms, becoming more liberal in terms of um, certain types of morality and more reactionary conservative in terms of economics and politics which for me is the worst of both worlds, but that's another issue. Uh, um, but I, I see, I'm intrigued. You just state it simply. Sex outside marriage doesn't harm other people. I disagree entirely. I think it's 
it's profoundly responsible for considerable family breakup in the context of our culture, and that, is, and that is really harming society. Sorry, I don't mean... We, we, I, we are going to have to go to a quick break, yeah. and um, so hold those thoughts, gentlemen. I, I've, it's just been fascinating. I, I've, I've just sat back <laughs> and watched the to and fro, and, and um, so there's hardly been any need for me to step in, but, but I will step in now just to say we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll just have just a couple of minutes, literally, to, 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 to wrap up your final thoughts, okay. because okay. Uh, we're, we're running uh, to time at the moment. So um, you're listening to a discussion on... Well, we're, we're going in lots of different directions, actually, but the, the fundamental question is, are we better off without God in modern Britain? I hope you've been enjoying the, uh, the discourse as much as I have. Um, we've got David Robertson with me, Scottish minister, um, author of the book uh, The Dawkins Letters, a response to the God delusion, and Dawkins has been mentioned numerous times in the course of today's programme. Andrew Copson, chief executive of the British Humanist Association, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes as we have some final thoughts at the end of this discussion. Welcome back to Unbelievable. I'm Justin Briley with you for the final part of the show today before we hand over to the likes of Dave and B for Hip Rock UK and lots more programming coming this afternoon here on Premier Christian Radio. But uh, before we do that, let me tell you that uh, next week you can enjoy uh, two weeks really where we're going to be looking at the Bible. We're getting biblical on you for the next two weeks as um, James White who's a United States apologist joins us in the studio to do uh, discussions with a few different people uh, next week he's going to be taking on Adnan Rashid who is from the Hitton Institute Adnan is a Muslim and they're going to be debating whether the Quran or the Bible is more trustworthy so do join me for that at the same time next week 2.30 till 4 here on Premier Christian Radio and online at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Well, just time, gentlemen, to wrap up your thoughts. And I'm sorry I had to sort of cut in mid-flow into to what was being talked about there. I mean, if we can maybe come back to the, the central question, stop worrying and enjoy your life. Um, are we better off without God in modern Britain? Andrew, it's a very sort of blunt question, but, but what's your kind of ultimate consensus are what, what it seemed to be saying that that advert originally was you're better off without god because you're going to enjoy your life more but that's not actually particularly what you wanted to say is it well as i said earlier our advert was itself a response to uh, the christian bus adverts that among other things uh, threaten hell for all non-christians and at, at eternity in the lake of fire um, now i suppose that to the extent that giving up a belief in god or religion might uh, relieve people of concerns like that um, that um, the people that they love um, and themselves might be burning forever in, in a torment and a torture. Um, I suppose some people might be better off uh, without their religious belief and that if they did stop believing in God, uh, they would uh, perhaps enjoy their life more. But I'm sure that the same is equally true of, of many uh, people who become religious or change from one religion to the other. And fundamentally, our commitment is to, to freedom of belief and, and, and the free exercise of, of religious and non-religious belief as far as possible in, in society. I think that um, if the bus campaign in any way uh, gave the impression that a life of pure self-centred hedonism uh, was preferable to any other, um, then of course that was not the case. And there are many humanists, many non-religious people who've been involved in, in social action of all sorts, um, who live moral lives, lives for others, just as there are many religious people who don't. Um, life is far more complicated in the end uh, than, than bus slogans, of course. Thank you for joining us today, Andrew. Um, David, final thoughts from yourself 
in this this question, are we better off without God in modern Britain? Oh, no. I, I, I mean, I know it upset Andrew, but I just think we're, we're less human, less humane, less free, less liberal, less tolerant. That's what will happen. John Gray, in his book... Um, Black Mass says that as we understand it today, utopianism began to develop along with the retreat of Christian belief. I think we live in a broken society. I think that um, what was cited earlier about people are more tolerant and so on, I think we're more dumbed down. Uh, we're booze Britain. I, I think that there are things that have improved, but uh, it is getting worse. And I think that illiberalism is coming back, and I think it will come back through the kind of... Uh, when, when secular society replaces God, when secular government replaces God, I mentioned in last week's programme that the current government has passed 4,000 new crimes. Um, for me, the great question is how we sort this broken society. Um, Rich, um, the magazine Prospect had an article on the tyranny of denial saying that one of the great achievements of the Enlightenment, the liberation of historical and scientific inquiry from dogma, is quietly being reversed. I find myself being banned from certain newspapers, being banned from saying things in schools or universities because they are deemed to be illiberal and intolerant. And I think that um, although I find Andrew particularly pleasant and articulate and uh, a very good spokesman for the British Humanist Association, ultimately I think it's a very dangerous dogma, the autonomy of humanity and naturalism. And for me... Um, the only way that a, a broken society will be healed is through Jesus Christ, not through religion, but through Christ. And I suspect we will disagree on that. <laughs> I suspect you probably will, but <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, thank you for coming in, Andrew. Um, we'll post up details of how people can find out more about the British Humanist Association with the podcast of this programme, so do go there if you want to find out more.